Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Looking for any dope gifts for the holiday season? It's coming up. It is. It's coming right around the corner. Oh, man. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who forgot, it's, it's that time of year. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting to that point, and we have a new fun thing we're doing. Featured artist. What? It's so exciting. It's it, actually very exciting. Our featured artist for the holiday season. Faith Sponsler. <laughs> we are obsessed with Love her. her. She's amazing. She's a friend, a muse. An alchemist. An alchemist. Artist. I would call her um, something of a wizard. A mage. Yeah. A, oh, wizard, a oh. wizard or a mage. She has done a collaboration with us. But she created beautiful, color-changing art history babes prints. Limited edition. Limited edition. There's not a ton of them, so you're going to want to get one. Get them while you can. I want that. They're great. They're, They're really beautiful. fun. Yeah. She did I an love amazing her color-changing prints. They're the coolest. Like, you just put them in some tea or some coffee and watch it change it, before your voila. eyes. It's beautiful. Magique. The whole process is super fun. And you get to be involved in the art, which yes. is always a cool thing. You will be a patron of the arts. Yeah. And Those so wealthy Italian men in, in Vatican City in the Renaissance, you'll be like them. Exactly. That's what buying one of these prints will make you. Basically. <laughs> You're basically a, a cardinal. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to arthistorybabes.com. Click on our featured artist tag. You can read all about Faith and her work. Yes. And you can buy as many prints as long as supplies last. Yes. Mm -hmm. Limited supply. Act fast. From podcast i'm Corey. i'm jen i'm Ginny, <laughs> and we are the art history babes <laughs> and in case you were wondering we definitely just did the wayne's world yeah, countdown she, she was like three two, two one i don't count the two and the one i know i know you don't count them you don't count the two and the one the suck cut <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does suck this is hard. 
God. I love that movie. That is like top five <laughs> movies. Too. It's so good. We lost his virginity in my dad's old bed. <laughs> what? 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 I did not know that. I only just learned it myself. Shitty. You don't just fucking drop that out of nowhere. What does that mean? What happened? Please tell so, me. like, I was fully aware Ginny's father is friends with me, but this is an I wasn't aware. Yeah. Um, they don't see each other super often anymore. They used to, like, run uh, track and cross country and shit together at, like, community colleges in the 70s. But, um, yeah, we were talking about and he was like, yeah, he loves his... I feel like maybe we should have put that out. You came out of nowhere with the okay. wild information. <laughs> wild. My dad remains anonymous. <laughs> He's my dad and nothing more. <laughs> that is... That was a solid information drop I right there. I literally already forgot what this episode was supposed to be about. <laughs> Because I'm already fucking trashed. Uh, um, uh, preface. I'm so drunk. I'm so drunk already. Okay, anyways. We're here What's with... What's going on? We're here with our good friend, Zach Clark. Oh my god. <laughs> we're here with Zach. What's happening? Um, and we're gonna talk about Albrecht Durer. In case you haven't listened to our previous episodes with our good friend, Zach. Good friend, Zach. Uh, tell us a thing or two about yourself, Zach. <laughs> um, I, hey everybody. I um, am a printmaker. I am a straight white Christian male, as we discussed uh, in-depthly in the last episode. That is episode. a title, my friend. I know. <laughs> um, I live in Oakland still. Oakland, I, California. I make letterpress <laughs> pieces and very blurry photograph things that are all generally pretty sad. Nice. He makes sad art. I do, which I'm not a sad guy. Well, I mean, I don't think I'm a sad guy. Your eyes is pretty guy. cool, dude. Yeah. We're so in my studio. His clean studio. The yep. clean studio. The dirty studio is uh, out back. It's a shed. <laughs> it's just a shack. There's some dogs running around it. So Zach was very sweet of um, himself <laughs> to let us. He was sweet of himself. He was sweet upon himself when he allowed our presence here tonight. Oh my god! Ten hours. Zach was very sweet and has let us record the podcast at his house and um um we're in his clean studio and tonight <laughs> we're gonna talk about Albrecht Durer. Yeah, let's who, do it. Who's Albrecht Durer? A big shot in the German Northern Renaissance. Northern Renaissance. Pantheon. Northern Renaissance is so much different and so much more significant in my opinion. I kind of agree. I was going to say this. I don't like the Italian Renaissance. Yeah. 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 I think the Northern Renaissance was doing way more. I'm sorry. I'm with you, girl. Yes. I'm with with you on that hot take. It's real. It's real. I um, I I disagree, but I'm sure you understand. I like like when Ginny and I don't disagree because that never happens. That never happens. Um, Yeah. I was actually thinking about this earlier. I 
No hate on the Italian Renaissance, but I am no hate. far more intrigued by the Northern Renaissance. Yeah. I agree with all your points, because I also think the Northern Renaissance is fucking dope. Uh... Uh-huh. But that's that's where we diverge. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's fine. And that's not the point of this episode. No, but I, I want to hear you We will second. have legitimate... I think we should have a legitimate... We'll go back and forth. We'll do an Italian Renaissance episode and a Northern Renaissance episode point back to back. Point counterpoint. Yeah. yeah. I think that'd be good. Yeah. Um, but Albert Durer, he is kind of just the man of, like, the Northern Renaissance. One of them. I mean, him and, like, Jan van Eyck, like... Yeah, man. They're, they're, um... Jan? Jan van Eyck. Um, <laughs> um, Jan and Albrecht Durer. German f- from Nuremberg. Oh, Nuremberg. He was so German. Born May 21st, 1471. Died April 6th, 1528. So right there in that hot spot of the Renaissance. So he wasn't that old. He wasn't that old when he died. Uh, no, he was 50 something. He was still something. a young man. Mm, he was. Tower of power. Forever. Um, I mean, at the time, that was like, that was okay. That was a good amount. That's a long life. I mean, he was still incredibly prolific, so... He got done what he needed to get done in terms of his artistic career. He left nothing behind. There was nothing on the table. Oh, definitely. He was all in. He left it all on the field. Um, 100%. In fact, his tombstone reads, Whatever was mortal of Albert Durer lies covered by this tomb. What? That's good. That's what I (laughs) Yeah, so he, if that doesn't kind of fill in the gaps, he did a lot of shit when he was, uh, when he was living, when he was existing on this plane. Yeah. No, he um, totally did. I mean, and the thing that's interesting about him is that what he was able to accomplish at a relatively young age, too. Because he started out being an apprentice... Apprentice? Apprentice for his dad, who was a goldsmith, and then um, a painter also. So he was doing both at the same time. And then he was really interested in woodcuts, and started getting into printmaking, and then he just fucking rolled from there, and he was just such a good self-promoter of his own work that he became, like, really internationally known at, like, a fairly young age, and yeah. was able to tap in to multiple different art markets well outside of Germany. Um, and also of Germany, of course. Like, he was super popular in Germany, but he was able to kind of, like, travel around himself physically, but also just his work and kind of circulating it around Europe and really getting his name out there as an artist, which was very impressive at the time. He was definitely a business babe. Um, Oh, my God, yeah. He was one of the first really... One of the first artists that really delved into this kind of connection between art and commerce and, like, understood the idea of, you know, making money off of art. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but he revolutionized, like, the idea of, like, reproductions and, like, being able to to reproduce images and then also reach wider audiences and make money off of what he was producing – kind of goes hand in hand he's also one of the first examples of the really the the well-known genius artist he kind of started i mean like if you had to pinpoint it at least a lot of historians do he kind of started this cult of personality around the artist 
he really formed this this idea of like artist as genius and he was one of the first to really put a lot of weight on his signature yes um and yeah and jared had a very nice signature mm-hmm. it was the i drew a. it oh you drew it it's <laughs> a nice big a and a yeah. little d inside of the a i mean he it was you can look at it as like his own trademark and this is one of the very first examples it's a big deal of an deal. artist doing that. Do you disagree? Within the Western world, it's very important to say because yes. what he was oh, actually doing was uh-huh. really just replicating yeah. the stamps of um, Asian artists. The first of, of Chinese and Japanese sure. artists. Was this Japanese? Um, Japanese and Chinese. Chinese use stamps, like stamp signatures as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, well, I mean, and that gets into a... No, but that's a good point. Yeah, no, no, that's a very, yeah, very to important. Go, like, to kind of go back to the earlier... Um, to the Corita episode that some of you may have listened to, that, like, part of the, like, really nitty-gritty slash elitism of printmaking, also, there's an aspect that doesn't, that we don't often say, when we talk about printmaking, we don't make enough of an effort to make a point, myself included, to make a point to differentiate between Eastern and Western printmaking. For sure. Um, because For sure. Asia was doing so many things well before... Yeah. The Western world, but yeah. just their language was so complicated that it that it caused for complications that it didn't mass produce as well. Right. Yeah, and Definitely. especially like when you look at woodblock prints and how influential those later became, like way later, mm-hmm. but they were around much longer before a lot of Western artists were starting to make their own woodblock prints. I also think it's important to point out that that he wasn't one of the first artists necessarily to be able to make money off his work. He was able to make money off his work within the common people. Um, and so he was able to make money yeah. off of, you know, similar to like how here now in politics we talk about small donors versus yes. big donors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where like he wasn't just living off of the Catholic Church. No, definitely. Uh, he yeah. was, yeah. He was, no, Deer was uh, enormously popular. He was, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was able to reach larger audiences that... Mm-hmm. The yeah. artist wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. The Caravaggio was. He was not. one of those exactly. artists yeah, exactly. who got to enjoy prestige during his life. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. There are not very many of those. He had um, indoor plumbing. Hey, uh, hey, indoor plumbing. If that's not luxury, <laughs> right now I think that that's luxury. Yeah. Whenever my toilet flushes, I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to his signature, so it's an A. With a D in, in between the legs, in mm-hmm. between the legs of the A, which gets really interesting because Albert Durer, a lot of his work is heavily religious, and it can be also connected to the idea of um, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, A.D. Oh, Albert Durer, A.D. Anno Domini. Um, Year of Our Lord. Which connects to, I think, maybe the first work maybe we can discuss a little bit, which is one of the biggest ones. It was that time he painted himself as Jesus. You know, <laughs> that's why yeah. my notes. Um, Jesus of Nuremberg. That, yep. um, 1500 uh, self-portrait as Jesus. Jesus. Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. <laughs> uh, uh, so Albert Durer. One of his most famous paintings, it's a self-portrait in which he very much 
uh, resembles your Western conceptions of what Jesus right, Christ looked Jesus at. Right, because Jesus was black. Yeah, Jesus didn't look like that, but we like to think that he looked like that. He was black, too. Um, but just the way he paints himself, his hair, his beard, just the general characteristics of this self-portrait, it's very clear and intentional he's trying to make himself look like Jesus. What do we um, think? What do we think about this self-portrait? Hold, hold, hold up. Um, I'm trying to look it up. Is it this well, one? Well, he has several no, this one. self-portraits. This one. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. Okay, so first off, I just want to say that his hair is lovely. <laughs> it's yeah. quite magnificent. He looks amazing. So this painting, so I'm going to jump off um, Do on it. Do response it. to this. Um, so I have wanted to see this painting for... I would say of his paintings, I don't think there's a painting I wanted to see more than this painting. Yeah. Um, and it is in one of the art museums in Munich. And I went to go see it, and it is in... I went to go see it... I, saw, I was able to see it a couple of years ago, and it's in a room with 30 other paintings, and it's one of those rooms where, like, paintings are on top of paintings. Yeah. And... There were people all throughout, like, really jiving in on, like, some Bruegels. Oh, sure. And there was not a single person sitting in front of this painting. No And there was shit. a cobweb, like, on the corner what? of the frame. And They were I... looking at Bruegel over dirt? Well, Bruegels is the man, but... I mean, yeah. No. You can appreciate Bruegel, both of them. No. And Durr, respectfully. But I, and I, like, my heart sank that I was like, I'm the only person in this museum that cares about the most important painting in this museum, in my humble opinion. Wow. Um, that really It was very strange. Me. Yeah, that really surprised me too, because that painting, I that painting has been brought up in multiple art history classes I've mm-hmm. Like, it's and a, he was, he was no, a good, yeah. he was a no. good painter. It's also not a big painting. It's like no. 18 by 24. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not large. Yeah. Um, it's just, like it can fall into a salon wall without even noticing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, it might be one right of those now. things that's like over his paintings are somewhat overlooked compared to his prints. I don't know. I mean, cause he went to Italy a couple times and learned a lot from Venetian color. And he did like this one painting for a group of German merchants in Venice, um, called like feast of the rose garlands. I'm pretty sure I, I can check it and put the image up later, but it's like a really busy painting and there's so much detail in it and really bright colors. And it was just his way of showing like, look, I can paint like the Italians. Like I can jive with this shit too. Um, and he like has his own image in the background and it looks a lot like that one where like, it's his like very long walks and he's just kind of like staring placidly out at you. And it's just, I mean, it's really, he, yeah. Yeah. Feast of the rosary. Feast of the rosary. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. Venetian color. I mean, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. He was able to adapt to, like, a lot of different oh, definitely. locations and styles. It's pretty impressive. He was very multidimensional. He, he kind of jumped all over the place and did it well. Yeah, you're, you're right. He was very much able to adapt, I think, when need be, which, you know, speaks to his ability as an artist. Going back to the self-portrait, though, of him as Jesus, there are a lot of different interpretations of it. Like, what do you guys think in terms of what it was saying about his relationship to his, you know, belief system? Was it an example of piety? Was it an example of self-aggrandization? I don't get a sense of piety at all. I feel like he is totally showing off 
He's like, look at my hair. <laughs> look at the curls in my hair. Look at my pretty hair. There are, I mean, there's a no. lot of there people that... There could be elements of both, too. I mean, the attention also to, like, what he's wearing and, like, just portraiture at the time, too. Like, when you look at the kind of materials that people are wearing, that conveys a lot of messages. Like, okay, I'm wealthy or I'm, I'm of a certain status, whatever. But, it, I mean, it could be both, where he's saying, like, I am very well established and I think highly of myself, but I'm also a pious person. I don't really know, though. I don't know. Yeah, I... This is a painting that has always been a little conflicting for yeah. me as well. Yeah, Um But I, I have really taken it as the idea of, like, if we, you know, as Christians, um, if, like, we are made in the image of Christ and in the image of God, we all there's an argument like we all are the image of Jesus and we all are the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so there is like a very arguably quaint, but like straightforward approach to that. Definitely. If you want to argue and believe that point. Yeah. I'll admit I'm conflicted about it. Yeah. I Uh, think that, I mean, I think that's an argument a lot of people have made that like in a lot of ways, that's what piety is, is that it is, seeing jesus in yourself so to an extent maybe there is something pious about Mm -hmm. it but yeah i do kind of agree that my initial reaction is self-aggrandizing yeah it's very yeah especially because we know that he was so good at promoting himself yeah, you had to be good at doing that to be as successful as he was yeah Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, God, I don't want to jump ahead. No, go um, ahead. You jump. Can't. So, well, because, like, I have, you know, Albert Durer you, was very, very, he was very close friends with Martin Luther. Right. He was a very active part of the Reformation, which for non-religious historians out there is really when the division between Catholicism and Pro- and Protestants happened. And it was really based on the idea that, the Catholic Church had this authority, and the Catholic Church was always your mediator between you and God. And with Protestants, and with specifically with Lutheran, that that you were able to have a personal relationship with God. And so the prolif- proliferation of his prince was a very radical, wild thing at the time. The idea that you didn't you know, before you had to go to the Catholic Church to see the icon. You had to go yeah, to the Vatican right. to see the Caravaggios. Right. Um, to see images of God and of Jesus, you had to go to these sanctioned places. And so through Durer's prince, he was giving you the opportunity to cre- to have a devotional, to have a prayer card, to have these things within your life, to have your own image of Jesus in your life, which was very, very radical. So, 
that said, part of me is like, God, this is really cool, and it's very counterculture, and it's this very like radical thing while still being a Christian thing. But then there is a tiny part of me that sometimes thinks like, was he just a really fucking clever Thomas Kincaid? <laughs> oh, whoa! I didn't oh. even think about and like, that. Like, um, it, it's caused... Dude, and, I get that vibe. Like, I get you know, that vibe. What happened you know, to Thomas Kincaid? What happened to Thomas Kincaid? We have to do an episode of Thomas Kincaid. He was an alcoholic who declared bankruptcy and then died. Are you serious? Yeah. My mom <laughs> yeah, spent bleak. so much money on a Thomas Kincaid that she bought at Costco. It's Bleak. Yeah. And none of those were actually painted by him. They were all paid by. Oh my god. They were all painted by. My mom spent assistants. like two hundred dollars. Um. Yeah. He the like pain, uh, the painter of light. Yeah. So like and like this has been a new. Honestly, within the last like six months, I've had this like way. Yeah. Like yeah. was he the Joel Austin of the Reformation? <laughs> wow. And like I. Just and, like, I mean, I don't. I don't believe that. I like his work was so. It was so constantly intertwined with faith that I think he, I think he believed what he was doing. Yeah. Even, I, even if yeah. there may have been problems that were problematic. And like, yeah. I always in general have a problem with, with reaping financial reward based off of faith in church and co-opting yeah. religion for financial gain. But there is a tiny part of me. It's like, he, like he might not have cared because we know Caravaggio didn't give a shit about, well, he, he was, was sleeping with young too. men. Oh. And we know that like, that Da Vinci and Michael, like yeah. no, Michael An- Michelangelo was a, was a was a pretty diehard believer. But we know that a lot of these other people like but weren't. They did plenty of things that weren't yeah. strictly adhering to religious doctrine at the time. <sighs> but the fact of the matter is, during that time, religious art was the heaviest seller. Like mm-hmm. if you were a professional artist during the <clears throat> Renaissance, regardless of where you were in Europe, you were going to do some religious commissions. There was no getting around that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like. It can depend on, like, the levels of people's devotion, but all those guys did it. And, like, you know, you have, like, different artists who were painting things like um, Christ in the House of Levi mm-hmm. is um, a really... That was during the Counter-Reformation, and... Oh, fuck, what is that artist's name? Hold on, I'm going to have to look it up. Right. It's going to drive well, me crazy. Yeah, but, but, like, well, and that, I mean, that on its own, the Counter-Reformation was this complete myth op by the yeah. catholic church right. to dump a ton of money into art yeah. to try to counter yes. what artists like durer were right. doing yeah. um yeah and very amazing okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and but there is one part of me that like no matter how problematic all this was yeah problematic there is something really exciting about there is something very exciting historically to me about the fact that like art was what changed opinions and yes. art is what guided people. Yes. Um, to like not derail us like far too much. What's interesting is there are a lot of, I mean, it started right after World War II, but it's especially like true right now that there are a handful of these religious, there are a handful of churches and other like, especially Catholic organizations within Germany and other parts of Europe that are starting to fund art again. Mm-hmm. Um, from nice. a, like we are a church and we're funding art, but you do whatever with it. That's and cool. that has caused this like really feeling in me that like we, I'm speaking for me, not for the entire podcast, um, <laughs> that like the church needs to be supporting culture making again, even if it's not culture they agree with. Yeah. Art history, arguably up until abstract expressions in the post-war period, mm-hmm. 
you can't separate from church-sponsored painting. Yeah. Because yeah. the church always had its hands in the pot. And, uh, like, I wish that that was still happening. It was a part of being part of the culture. For sure. Yeah, and I feel like art wielded a lot more, like, political and social power and influence during this time period Mm -hmm. than perhaps we can, like, see more examples of now. It certainly does in many cases now, just in some different ways. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about Durr and, like, what his position was in all of this. But, I mean, he made a lot of religious works. He did. <laughs> a lot of his works, yeah, were incredibly religious. And the fact that he was taking advantage of print technology and making these things accessible and... It's so punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> he was like the punk rock 14th century. Totally. Yeah. I mean, printmakers in general. True. Mm-hmm. Very true. Like Guten, like because of the Gutenberg Bible, yeah, Europe became literate. Like that's so fu- like yeah. like that was the fucking <laughs> fanzines huge. of today. I know. Yeah. Like no. it sounds wild to say, but like no, I it's love. So, yeah, like I, those are the reasons I'm a printmaker. Yeah, like, that's fair. Ugh. Yeah, no, so I I love that that um comparison because yeah, like having access to a printing press and and making things reproducible and yeah it's the the entire ethic behind it is very similar to the punk rock let's make something that is both accessible and relatable to everybody kind of a thing which yeah. i i think you can even go as far to say as that ethic has stretched into this you know the the era we're in now in terms of the stuff like the internet and blogs on the internet and the way we reproduce images on the internet and the way we share images and so i think it's um yeah ever since ever since the 1400s and 1500s there's been a continuous rebirth of this idea of let's make things accessible to people that they weren't previously accessible to and yeah albert durer was was one of those people. I mean, I don't know what I feel about what his intentions were. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to say if yeah. if yeah, he it's really pure speculation. Yeah, it's totally yeah. speculation. I have no idea if he really gave a shit about making things more accessible, but he did make things accessible mm-hmm. because he could reproduce things. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean, his work became so popular and reproducible that people were copying it and Mm -hmm. there were like he had a case against this italian printmaker oh what was his name mark antonio raimondi and he forged some of durr's works but made a few small changes to them in a venetian court ruled that it was not a an actual forgery and that he was just an admirer (laughs) <laughs> of Durr's work, and that Durr should be flattered. Oh, I kind of love it. I, I kind of love that. But then in response, like, Durr started writing these warnings, like, in as part of his print editions. Like, picture, like, you're 13, and you're writing in your diary, and you're like, warning, anyone who opens these pages will be cursed, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like that, but it, <laughs> he wrote one of them, and I, I have it down because it's so fucking great. <laughs> 
Okay, this was written in the colophon of an edition of Durr's engraving series, Life of the Virgin, which is a really popular series that he did, published. This edition was published in 1511. Hold, you crafty ones, strangers to work, and pilferers of other men's brains. Think not rashly to lay your thievish hands upon my works. Beware, know you not that I have a grant from the most glorious emperor, Maximilian, that not one throughout the imperial dominion shall be allowed to print or sell fictitious imitations of these engravings? Listen, and bear in mind that if you do so, through spite or through covetousness, not only will your goods be confiscated, but your bodies also placed in mortal danger. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that so much. Such was his value in himself and his work. (laughs) Oh my god, I love, yeah, just that attempt to like put a hex on (laughs) anyone. (laughs) <laughs> that reminds me, so in prepping for this episode I watched on YouTube, there's a BBC documentary on Albert Durer. It's really good. They go through a lot of different stages of his work in life, um, and so I would definitely recommend it. But at the very end, they reference, essentially, like they show lots of images of really just contemporary artworks that are based off of Durer's works. Um that appropriate his images and have turned them into different things. You know, just contemporary artworks that are working off of Albert Durer in a very, a very obvious and literal way. And the narrator uh, says, he says that they copied, plagiarized, and travestied his work. Ah, Those are his exact words. And I, like, stopped, and I was like, hold on a minute, bro. Like, I understand that you're an Albert Durer fan, but, like, it's just artistic appropriation. And, like, like he's been dead for a real yeah, long time. Yeah, like, chill. <laughs> chill the fuck out. Yes, contemporary artists, they get ideas from artists in the historical canon. Like, that's what happens. No one has taken his work and reproduced it and said this is my work they have they have intentionally appropriated his image for the purpose of saying something about that image that's what artistic appropriation is so i just thought that like wording was so funny like travestied his work is like taking an artist from a historical canon and like taking their work and she passed out god <laughs> Is this is this a ten second pause here? Oh, maybe Jen's passed out. (laughs) Um, But anyways, I would be remiss if we talked about appropriation of Durer, and we did not talk about Michelle Wilson, who um, I don't think either of you know, but she's an artist here in um, Oakland. Um, She's a professor down at Stanford. Um, Mm -hmm. Beautiful, incredible bookmaker. Um, and her and a collaborator, and I forget her collaborator's name right now, I'm sorry, they have been working on a embroidery of Albrecht Durer's rhinoceros Whoa, for over wow. two years okay. now. 
Two and, years, and, that's, and yeah, that's dope. They, they yeah. take it around to different galleries, and, like, it's it's events, like, where they have days where people can come in and embroider the rhinoceros. Oh, cool. Interesting. Um, and, like, they're something like a third done, and it's two years in the process. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's ju- it's the size of, of a wall. Uh, it's, Whoa. you know, it's, it's a full, uh, I want to say maybe 50. 15 feet by 8 feet. It's a very, very big piece. It's yeah. very, very cool. Um, she's based here in the Bay Area, and her and her collaborator do do events where you can come, anyone can come in and sew um, all throughout the Bay, Northern California. No and That's they just so recently cool. did one at uh, the Salina Zoo in Kansas, um, where they have an African rhino. Sure. And so they came and did a sewing at the zoo with the rhino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, super yeah. cool. Her name is Michelle Wilson. Look it up. See, that's an amazing, amazing appropriation of his work. I would never in a million years refer to that as a travesty. No. Like, Like, get real, dude. I kind of was just like, you need to chill the fuck out. Like, like what a ridiculous, I don't know. Like, Albert Durr's great, but, like, calm down. Um... But yeah, so so there is obviously an interesting relationship just from like Durer himself and obviously his admirers with this idea of appropriating his work, um, <laughs> and um, and <laughs> it, it is our, uh, yeah, I think this is a real pause here. Yeah, we're gonna take a quick break. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Hey Nat, did you know that the FDA doesn't require tampon companies to disclose a list of the ingredients in their tampons? That's pretty horrifying. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, so major brands use synthetic ingredients in harsh chemical cleansing agents, whereas Lola is 100% cotton and BPA-free. And for those of you who are a little more environmentally conscious and don't even want to use the applicator, they make applicator lists, they make various sizes and panty liners for those who want them. And yeah, you can customize your subscription so you can get exactly what you need, you know, in the right sizes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it gets delivered directly to your door so you don't have to worry about like... Lazy girl's dream. Exactly. (laughs) Don't have to worry about running off to the store because they will be there every month at your door. Also, $5 off your first box... Come on, guys. Can't beat that. Pretty exciting. Head on over to trymylola.com slash babes. That's B-A-B-E-S. And start your subscription today. Go, guys. Do it. We're back talking about Albert Dura. <laughs> sure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're talking about Albert Dura. Albrecht. Albrecht. Alberto. Alberto. Um, Wait, have I explained to you guys how at the Prado, his name is labeled as Alberto Dorero? I didn't know this. Like, it's engraved on the wall outside of the museum. Really? Directly underneath Alberto Dorero is Pablo Pedro Rubens. Oh. I don't, I don't. Feel great about that. I um, out like that'd be like if I think they that... had exhibits in the states and be like Albert Dern. I don't know. <laughs> we still talking about my band. Al, Al, Albert <laughs> Albert Dern. <laughs> that said, outside of that 
atrocity. I think the Prado is the greatest art museum in the entire world. Oh, I, I want to go so bad. I have not been. I've only been to Barcelona. It's the reason to go I've, to Madrid. I've been lucky to be, go to Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, I have not been to Spain not, at yes. all, and I really want to go. Yeah, the Prado has so many important works. It is an art history book. Yeah. It's yeah, insane. But yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing is just this attempt. And it happens everywhere. It happens in the United States. Teaching. Obviously, it happens in Spain. But an attempt to change people's names to like fit certain cultural lenses, I, I, I don't like it. Like, let's just call people by what their names are, no matter what language it is. Like, like just, well, you can figure out their names. Like, we're all smart enough. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Let's just call people by their names. Like, I think that's fair, regardless of language. Even if it's a language you're not comfortable with, you can figure out a person's full name, I think. Is there is there anything gained by changing like Albert Durer's name to Alberto Durero? I don't think so. I know, right? Like, However, like I know that like Titian's name is not remotely Titian. No, it is that's a true. very Italian name. That's the only yeah. one that I know that we that we in America yes. totally anglify. And I don't know why, because a lot of other Italian artists we call them by their Italian yeah. names. Yeah, the I Titian. don't know. I I couldn't tell you that. I'm inclined to blame it on the British, but that's probably not fair. But I think it was probably them. I blame the British. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. They have not given us anything worthwhile besides Francis Bacon when it comes to art history. So, you know what? I, I believe it. We love you, UK. Sorry. The only, Francis, only Francis Bacon. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Um, so, Albert Durer. Albert Durer. Just a few more little biographical stuff. He had a wife. He had a wife. Her name her name was Agnes. I just feel like he was like a total player. Like I just, I really think that. I mean, it's possible. I don't know any historical yeah. backdrop This, all, this would all help us know if he's a Thomas Kincaid or mm. a, um, who's like a devout person? We can, who is the antithesis of Thomas Kincaid? <laughs> was he a Thomas Kincaid or a JP2? I don't know. Who is the antithesis of Thomas I would argue that, like... That is a question, like, for the masses. In my mind, Albert Durer has been the antithesis to Thomas Kincaid, but I doubt... But now I don't know. Yeah, for sure. He's such a mystery. Yes. He is. His wife's name... His wife's name was Agnes. He was given 200 florins to marry her. Cool. Which at the time was a hell of a dowry. Uh, yeah, right. So he made hell of money to marry Agnes. Oh, so glad I didn't live back then. It was God. a different time, folks. Uh, I think someone would have to give, uh, there would be a dowry to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worth anything. <laughs> uh, that'd be really awesome if that was part of it now, where like, like parents are just like, God, our son is a fucking idiot. <laughs> Here's $10,000. Please marry him. I bet you that... What were your student loans? I'll pay you. Take oh, this ass. I bet actually. you anything that that is a situation that You're has probably existed. probably right. It does happen. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is a tempting trick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so he married Agnes, and he made one of his first self-portraits, um, well, painted self-portraits, to give to her. Oh, self- is, that, is that the... Self-portrait with thistle. Oh, that's a good one. From 1493. What is... Oof. Do you know what 
thistle is supposed to symbolize in that case? Yes, I do. Uh, uh, thistle is often considered an aphrodisiac. Ooh, Ooh, that's right. Which that's is the one so you give your wife. Counterintuitive to just encountering that plant. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's often considered an aphrodisiac. It's also supposed to be a symbol of luck and love. Sure. So. He made this deal. Appropriate. Yeah, he made this deal with Agnes's papa, and <laughs> and then he sent her, and she was like, "Okay, I guess I know this guy." But then he sent her this self portrait, him with thistle. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, "Okay." <laughs> What's up with that neck? Yeah. Those, those those quads are not quads. Uh, what's that thing that Rock has instead of neck? Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that this, thing the rock yeah, has. This is a real Channing Tatum looking motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. Um, no but, wonder Agnes was yeah, exactly. taken by him. Whew. That hat is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very interesting self portrait. Yeah. Um, we'll have it on our images oh, for you. Yeah. I know. Hello. I know what's up. <laughs> Hello there. Did take, you see my thistle? thistle. <gasps> but also, he's <laughs> kind of bored. Just like. You got this thistle. What are you, you going to do with it? I don't you can care. Do this I, got the, I got this thistle, but what have you done for me lately? Uh, <laughs> oh, Dirk. Uh, you um, can voice him in, in multiple films. I know, right? I feel like we really have his essence yeah. down. I think so, too. Yes, my face. <laughs> no. Do you want to do that again? No, no, do you want to try no, that no, again? No, no, no. Do you want to accent this time? <laughs> so he married Agnes. Should we talk about maybe some of his engravings yeah. that we like, that oh, yeah. we're into, that we're feeling? Oh, man. There's a lot. I know. <laughs> so many feelings. Um, I, well, first, let's just talk about, like, one of the most talked about artworks of all time has been written about, like, crazy yep. Melancholia from oh. 1514. It's, there's just a lot going on there. I mean... Um, it's that a, is a busy, busy, busy scene. It is very there's, busy. Well, but I think that's that is that is essential to ger- the the Northern Renaissance as a whole. For sure, mm-hmm. German painters have been German artists have always been very busy artists. Yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. Um, so there's a lot going on here. Melancholia, obviously, reference to melancholy, which is one of the the four the four humors, like one of the four. Things, yes. uh, you, you know, yeah. you know, what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> I just think of the Kristen Dunst movie that I'm afraid to watch. It's so good. It's uh, so good. It's, it's dark as shit, but it's really good. I have yeah. a really. Um, That's like Requiem for a Dream. Watch it once. Don't really need to watch it again, but I'm glad uh, it's good. I have it's a good. really irrational fear about the end of the world. Uh, well, it might be a rough one. People um, say that it was going to be today. Didn't you send yeah. me a Snapchat about? Yeah, that? there was a um, a. Uh, a conspiracy theory, going back to our earlier conversation. Oh, we got an hour for um, yeah. I'm joking about those things, actually. A lot, of people, a lot of people thought the end of the world was coming today because there was, like, the eclipse and all that shit, and then the, and then there's all, been all these natural disasters and stuff, but uh, we're fine, so. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I, back I don't, to dirt. Let's <laughs> distract you. But interestingly, we, though. We are still talking about the end of the world. Yeah. And that's like. <laughs> exactly. Durr was really into the end of the world. <laughs> I would say. Well, and, and this is part of what makes me. This is part of the argument for why I think he was true in his faith. A lot of really zealous Christians are very excited about the end of the world. Oh, yeah. 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 That's uh, a thing. That's a thing I think that I. Um, one of the things I struggle the most with Christianity 
is this idea that you're you're more excited for what comes after this life and then you stop appreciating this life. I, I, I don't vibe with that necessarily. And yeah, that's a very real thing. Um, there's, I think there's a huge sect of, of Christians that are like stoked on the end of the world yeah. because of Oof. the rapture and shit. And I'm uh, like, I don't know about that. Uh, 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 <laughs> but yeah, I think Durr maybe falls into that camp a little bit. He was very into the end of the world. He did a lot of work focused on the end of the world, but I think it was partially an intellectual curiosity as well. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so. I think yeah. So. yeah. Totally. I think... Uh, sorry, I keep thinking of so many uh, or pieces of artwork I want to talk about. Keep going. <laughs> um, but Melancholia, <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen the Kirsten Nuts movie, you should watch it. It's really good. So this, this work, it's been written about a lot. It's been talked about a lot. And I think it is so central to his work and just like the western art historical canon because in a lot of ways it's representing this relationship of introspection and intellectualism with gloom and melancholy right so in a lot of ways like Durer very much considered himself an intellectual and he very much considered himself a melancholic there's actually a sketch of him where he's pointing to his spleen and the spleen oh, yeah. was considered right. the source of melancholy yeah. at the time. He's like, yeah. and so he's just like pointing at it like, this is me. Um, so there's a, a deep connection between the intellectual and melancholy, which is so fascinating and so funny to me because in a lot of ways I consider it, I don't know, I, I, I think of it as one of the sources of Almost this cult idea of the artist as genius, as melancholic, depressive trope. You know? This idea that the artist must also be tragic and depressed. It's like the only way to be introspective is to be sad as fuck. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Like, and, and in some... To some degree, I get that. Like, I I don't know. Like, to be introspective can be very sad sometimes. Sure. But there has been for centuries this trope of intellectual melancholy marriage, yes. you know. And I think this work is just that incarnate. Like, I agree. <laughs> it's just like that's what's happening. It's the main figure in it is very sad yes. looking. My favorite is... Um, I'm going to pull it up. I have it up. My favorite, my favorite part of the whole thing is this little poodle at work. I know. He's just like doing some work. (laughs) There's a little poodle. He's like solving math problems or something. I have never seen. So chubby and serious. Such a. (laughs) I've never seen such a. Entirely different from the pooty of the Italian. Exactly. (laughs) I've never seen such a pensive little poodle. And he's just chubs with me. Just like working. (laughs) He's just working on something. And I love it. He's maybe my favorite poodle of all time. It's so good. And then, yeah, and then the main figure is just, once again, very, very pensive, looking off into the distance, Mm -hmm. trying to solve the mysteries of the universe. Um, But what's also very uh, interesting about this work is it's just there's a lot in terms of math, and there are, like, hidden math equations in 
in the image? Like, what? <laughs> like, it's like a Sudoku no, board. Yeah, there's a fucking Sudoku board, like, hidden <laughs> in there. Like, there's there's a lot of um, interesting shapes. Like, so, so it's really this whole allegory of, yeah, what it means to be a melancholic intellectual almost. Right. It's my cross to bear. Exactly, which I think also... Uh, explains why it's been written about so much. Yes. I think why a lot of intellectuals are drawn to this work <laughs> is because <laughs> it's about... For sure. It's what it's about. It's about being an intellectual. So, like, so okay, I have a question for you guys. Yes. Um, as the artist to art historian, like, are you guys sad? No. Like, the same way that, like, oh. artists are sad? Uh... I mean, personally, sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm pretty open about the fact that I'm, uh, kind of like naturally a depressive. Like, I think I, I fall into that camp, but uh, work a heavy balance. But yeah, like the in in being like I don't know being introspective. I think can lead you to sad places. Sometimes. Well, I think, yeah, may, yeah, maybe a better way to phrase that is, like, are are you comfortable with sadness mm. the way mm. that most artists tend to be? Sometimes to an unhealthy level. Yeah. Um, but I think, that you, like, as we talked about on the last episode I was on, that, like, a lot of the work that I make <laughs> is, like, inherently kind of sad. But mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily a sad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm okay going through those sad places in a way that, like, yeah. I discuss with my wife that, like, she sees babies die on a regular basis. but yeah. she, And she's like, people die, whatever. And she doesn't get to a sadness. Like, she doesn't like sad television. She doesn't like sad movies. She doesn't yeah. like sad books. Yeah. And they, but I think that artists are okay with dwelling in sadness. And I think that there's a little bit of, like, you know, that's an emotion a lot of people don't want to deal with. And it's almost our responsibility to, yeah. to like, go into those worlds yeah. to tell stories about it. Yeah. Um, would you say that, like, you feel the same? Or when you are approaching sad work, are you approaching it from a purely academic point of view? Um, me personally, not at all. I'm just, like, a very emotional being. I've always, my attachment to art has always come from a very real emotional place. And I'm also someone that I like to explore my sadness. Um, I don't consider myself a strictly sad person. In fact, I think I can be a very happy person. But I, I think I work in extremes. I can be a very happy person. I can be a very sad person. And over time, I personally have gotten comfortable with exploring my own sadnesses. And my attachment to art connects to that in a lot of ways. I that's I like art that works in those places because I like to delve into those places in myself and try and learn what they're telling me and sometimes just sit with them. So I I relate to that very similar, like, similarly and I think you know that's part like while I am art historian like and I don't make a lot of visual work anymore I think a lot of what I do does operate in the realm of art like I dance and I write and I I try to express myself in more artistic ways and I do it as an expression of those same things so I think I can relate to the quote-unquote artist in that way personally I don't know about you Jenny I don't know either. <laughs> I've been thinking about that since you asked that question. Libras don't really like uncomfortable emotions sometimes. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I can embrace certain emotions at certain times, but I am also one who likes to process through them as quickly as I can hmm. and move on to something else, especially if it's an unpleasant emotion, most particularly if it's an unpleasant emotion. I think that a lot of why I'm drawn to art is that there are certain emotions that are like um, expressed and channeled through art that maybe I am not as good at embracing on my own. And if I'm feeling something that's like, kind of under some layers and I approach an artist or a particular work that addresses that, then that's like a way for me to kind of forge some connection and maybe process that on a deeper level. Not to say I'm like not an emotional person because I'm not like a, like a fucking robot. No, not at all. But I don't think that I embrace certain aspects of sadness because I usually try and be like okay like what are the causes and like what can I do about it and kind of go into it with that approach which can be good and bad it really depends but yeah the art history babes take on melancholy (laughs) (laughs) um no I think that's I mean yeah I think think I'm very comfortable with being alone yeah solitude yes solitude it's just solitude and loneliness yes Solitude, I am cool with. Loneliness, not so much. But I definitely feel that there's a big difference between the two. And I feel like people who are more comfortable with kind of like being introspective and thinking about like their emotions and what they're doing in their day, like you can just embrace solitude more perhaps from that angle which I feel like a lot of us do have in common yeah it's like especially when you have solitude like you produce more work and like you can definitely a lot of times mm-hmm. be Dude, more creative been, and have more ideas when you're in that state of mind I have been living the hermit life for like a month now where I like barely do anything I'm like always by myself and I'm so fucking productive it's ridiculous yeah <laughs> like I get so much shit done yeah. <laughs> I was telling Melissa yesterday that um like as I was as I was reading this I was like you know being a nun or a monk would be so productive right? <laughs> uh, like all you got to do is like do your church duties and then like you just do whatever you are interested in right? and yeah. you read your books and your hermitage yeah. and you write your books about solitude yeah. and like that's it can you imagine to like being a monk where like you're working on illuminated manuscripts and like you go and you do your monk stuff and you go to mass and you eat in, uh, you know, in the dining, in the, fr- in the refractory hall <laughs> and then you just like paint these very small, beautiful, detailed You're things. just describing a residency. That's what artist residencies are. Yeah, it's great. And like, yeah. you know. Routine, which they're even residency. Like a, a friend solitude. of a friend of mine, did a, there's a residency in Idaho that is on a nunnery, and you're silent for a month. You know oh, what? That yeah. sounds. Yeah, I forget what it was nice. called. Pretty I wrote cool. her. I wrote her letter of recommendation, but I don't remember. What, I don't remember what it's called right now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, if I find out, I will give them the information to put up yeah. out there for <laughs> all of y'all. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like all of us, to a certain degree, embrace. Melancholy. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I think a lot of my um, my most interesting thoughts, a lot of my introspection, like they're a lot of times they're they're very much influenced by, by melancholy. Like it just like takes you to places that if you let them, I think can be really interesting and really valuable. Um, but also you don't want to get lost there because being depressed can 
Mm-hmm. not be great also <laughs> for sure but yeah so uh that's melancholia <laughs> damn um, got a little off the rails there sorry, um, sorry guys no, but honestly i feel weird. like that's the point of that work though is to like yeah. take you to those kind of places like it's a very interesting work let's see are there any other um specific dur works you wanted to talk about zach Oh, I mean, I think the rhinoceros is important that we mentioned earlier, but like, just because it was like Europe didn't know what a rhinoceros was and they just had, and so it's this, it's this very, very funny image of this like heavily armored animal and Europe hadn't seen one and Durer made this print of this rhinoceros that like is kind of accurate then spread all throughout Europe and it was it was the Europe archetype of what a European archetype of what a rhinoceros was which um, yeah I mean it's accurate but it's also fucking scary yeah no it, it like, looks like a like a battle ram yeah it's not it's not completely wrong no but it, it is wrong enough that you're like wait this it has, does look it's like got it's scales yeah, and it's got like, like spi- a spine yeah, coming yeah. out it's it's really it's a really really interesting piece and it was it was my understanding was like one of the most one of his most widely distributed prints of his entire career interesting because there was just that level of like like european intrigue of course um yeah. you know i think i think that's a pretty important piece uh, i mean his adam and Eve piece is pretty cool at the prado yeah mm-hmm. um but one. like no <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, um, yes, but no, like. My favorite, well, I do really like Melancholy a lot, but my favorite is oh. The Four Witches yeah. or The Four Naked Women. Yeah. 1497. It's just really fucking dope. Even though the reasons he probably made it are like the exact opposite of why I love it. Right. But like, <laughs> um, I know. So it's <laughs> likely, you know, it's either representation, it could be a representation of the four seasons, the four elements, um, Aphrodite and the graces, the three graces. Such muscular. Uh, I know, right? And or it's considered... Oh, God, such a good piece. I know. It's also considered yes. four witches or possibly four girls in a brothel. And it's four naked women just beautifully, like, dancing around in a circle. And I love it. And it's good... it's really magical. A lot of people read it as an allegorical warning against discord. But to me, I think it's just a celebration of badass butts. naked ladies. <laughs> butts, yeah. yeah. I'm just 16th century butts. <laughs> I love it. These were butts. <laughs> At this time. Yeah. No, I'm... Once I have money again, I'm going to get a copy of that print for my house because I love it so much. And I also yeah. think we should do we should do a, a oh, Photoshop, like Photoshop our heads on oh, <laughs> which I don't want to see any Photoshop that isn't uh, Ginny on the angel uh, on the on the cherub or whatever. Which one? There's uh, one of like your face photoshopped onto like a like fat. Baby angel. Oh, are something. you talking about Los Barachos, the Velasquez one, where I'm, I'm on chubby ass Bacchus's body, <laughs> <laughs> like Bacchus with his like whole like left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hand. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. I mean, but he's we... kind of a a pouchy 
Bacchus. Like so a baby. I, I get, yeah. We've been meaning to do another one of those, though, like a like a Photoshop we of our of our faces on a famous artwork. I think yeah. that would be a good one. I yeah. think we should add that to the list. Yeah. Since we were talking about the apocalypse earlier, too, I mean, the Four Horsemen. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We could also put us on the four horsemen. You know, this print is, oh, like, I never get tired of looking at this one because there's just so much going on. So much going on. And the facial expressions of everyone and, like, these skinny, nasty legs at the bottom of this guy. And, like, it looks like a, oh, is that the Pope getting eaten by, like, a a hell beast? (laughs) That looks like oh, yeah, maybe. Tiara. Yeah, it might be. The Pope getting eaten? Oh my goodness. He's not having a good time. Yeah. He is but that print is, oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's pretty. De- oh, that is really good. I love, I love his work. They're just like, they're so, yeah, they're just so like, he's got that like medieval feel to them, you know? He defined the, de- he defined the genre. Yeah, it, they're just like, like magical. Like they're so good. Oh, just a few other fun things. Did you guys have any other works you wanted to talk about before I? Oh, I really. Um, out I mean, it's like I don't know if it's an important work, but um, I really love uh, Saint Philip in his study. Oh, God, I'm, oh, I'm gonna get this oh, wrong. Oh, Saint Jerome. Yes, 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 yes. And it's like him, uh, like drawing at a desk with a lion in front of him. I think, I think it's a beautiful piece. I don't have anything more to say about it besides the fact that I think it's beautiful. Nice. Let me check that I got that name right. I'm pretty I think you're right. sure I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Solitude. Oh, it's hell of solitude. Solitude embodied. Plus um, a lion. <laughs> solitude yeah, a plus lion. lion. That should be the, the name. And I mean, isn't that the dream? Like... Yeah. <laughs> Solitude and then just like Working a Working maj- at your desk with some cool ass animals. Yeah, with like a majestic creature as your your partner. And like, a faithful doe for good measure. Exactly. And a human skull <laughs> on the windowsill. Always. Always. <laughs> just a f- few other fun facts. So we talked about his burial a little bit. His tombstone, Whatever Was Mortal, of Albert right. Durer, lies covered by this tomb. Um, after his burial, a group of artists exhumed his body and made casts of his hands and face. That's fucking odd. Yeah. Not yep. surprising. Because but... he was, like, such a big fucking deal. Yeah. Um, they don't exist anymore, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> can you imagine... If you just happened upon like a cast <laughs> a Durr face, a Durr's face, Durr's like, rotten face, dead face, his dead. Oh, do you see that cast on my bookshelf? That's from Durr's dead face. <laughs> that was Durr's dead ass face. If it looks like a sunken face, it's because he's dead. <laughs> I dug him up. I made a cast of his dead ass so face. Weird. It is so weird. Oh, um, but what does still exist, while the cast don't exist, there is still in existence, you can gain access to it if you have the right connections, um, a lock of his hair. I was going to ask, there's got to be a relic of There dirt. is a lock of his hair, which is like relics, man. We just pick people and we're like, you're important enough that I'm going to keep your hair. Yeah. Like, yeah. and it's just. I keep vials of everyone's hair. <laughs> 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 that's a joke that's a total joke 
yeah, so there, yeah, there is still a lock of his hair in existence. Going back to that documentary I watched on the BBC, the dude who is totally just like fucking, yeah, he is hard for Durer. Like he is Does very. Does he have like some of Durer's hairs like in a lock? <laughs> I actually have tattoos of Durer's hair. Of his hair, like yeah, no, it's a really like it's just a lot. It's a very thin line that curls. It's you know, it's it's nothing. Oh, but literally, so in the documentary, he goes and like looks at the the Durr hair, and he's just like, I've seen this hair before in his self portraits, and he's just like, Oh my god, this guy's way too into Durr. But um, (laughs) this is where our historians can get fucking weird. Jesus. He gets, I mean, you do you, bro. Like, whatever. Like, whatever. Like, no hate, but. Durr is his god. Yeah. We all, we all have our weird things. Like, it's fine. Uh, (laughs) but, but still, he was, yeah. So, I mean, that exists. If that, if that's something you're interested in, I'm sure you could make that experience happen for yourself if you really want. So, his hair is, like, on view? It's not necessarily on view. I can't remember exactly where it's at, but it is owned by, like, a museum. So I'm sure if you wanted yeah. to get access to it for research purposes or whatever, you could. It yeah. would just take some work and time. But, Oof. yeah, it's not, like, out in the open. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it exists. And from what I could tell in the documentary, it's in very good condition, which is weird. He, I think <laughs> very good His hair looks hair. healthier oh, yeah, sure. than mine. Like, <laughs> and that's 500-year-old hair. I know, right? Um, 600-year-old like, hair. it with, like... Very strong German eggs from strong. It's just German mantail. Hands. Strong German hair. <laughs> strong German hair. Speaking I will say the Germans have great hair. It's true. This Polish hair is not. Durer possibly question mark died from malaria. We don't know one hundred percent. Interesting. But he got malaria. Mm. And then when died he was in Italy. Died not yeah when he was in Italy and not and died not Malaria too long after is that. Bad air in Italian. Oh, mm-hmm. bad air. Mm-hmm. Wait, Malaria from like, from like asthma. No, like bad air from having a lot of mosquitoes around. From malaria. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It makes sense though. Yeah, mal air. Yeah, malaria. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, he got malaria when he was in Italy. I, I guess it's not been fully documented because it's not his official like cause of death, but oh. died of malaria? Question mark. Possibly. Oh. Also, before we we wrap this baby up, it's just for funsies, just a fun little thing. How about we talk about Durer and German nationalism? Should we talk about that real quick? Uh, we also talk about my band. Oh yeah. We can, we'll wrap up with that, because that's okay, a light thing. But first, let's talk about Nazis. Oh, do we have to? I think we do. I think it's important that we talk about it. Do we also talk about Jen maybe dying out there? That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> if she's puking on my couch. No, she's fine. Um, <laughs> so, Albert Durer... Unfortunately, the work of Albert Durer became a symbol of German nationalism. Um, and there is a common phrase that they adopted. Durer as Führer. Ugh. Gross. It's fucking gross. To be fair, I wouldn't mind if Durer was in charge. <laughs> I mean, might, it might be, yeah, it could be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but he became, his work kind of became a symbol of Germanic purity, 
And um, also, because the Nazis loved Nuremberg, yeah. they just fucking... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their, mm-hmm. Nuremberg became the unofficial capital of Germany. It's not the unofficial. That's where, that's where all of, not, of Hitler's building projects were. But it was... It's not officially the capital of Germany, though. No, 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 no. But it's where, like, the center of, like, Nazism Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So they made it their capital. Yeah. And Durer images got appropriated by Nazis, which is super unfortunate. And people adopted his work as um, an example of... It was essentially used to project, like, Nazi symbols as a an example of a, a fake past of Germany, like a, a a fake idealized past of Germany. Which is so fascinating and not in a positive way of the fact that exactly. like of like, you know, the times of Charlemagne and the times of the Northern Renaissance were the Holy Roman Empire, which was neither Roman uh, or like terribly holy and was actually within Germany and so like they are reaching back to a time that wasn't even it was like Germanic in region but it wasn't Germanic in like uh, the the heritage exactly um, it's just it didn't, it's ridiculous yeah and parallels contemporary desires to reach back to a past that doesn't exist right now <laughs> um, uh. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, once again, it's one of those things, obviously, Albert Durer had no control over it, um, but the Nazis took his images and they appropriated them the same way neo-Nazis take images today and appropriate them, i.e. Pepe. Oh. Shout out to Pepe. Uh, he's not supposed to be a Nazi symbol. <laughs> um, did you see actually recently the creator of Pepe did a bunch of cartoons where like anti neo Nazi cartoons like cool. yeah. And then he killed he... Pepe off. Did he kill Pepe yeah. off? Dope. Which then <laughs> a bunch of neo Nazis on the internet um, argued that since he killed Pepe off, it was no longer his property. Oh, because people fun. don't fucking understand. Uh, you know, um, property rights. Property rights. Um, what's the word of my copyright, trademark, intellectual property? Oh, okay, <laughs> intellectual yes. property. Also, Nazis are trash people. So let's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. just go with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. That um, said, um, the if any of you ever find yourself in Nuremberg, go to the Nazi museum. It is one of the most impactful experiences I've had in my entire life. Wow. And it's in the Colosseum that Hitler built 90% of. Oh, um, it is, and, and they didn't demolish it. It is there in Nuremberg. Like, it is part of the skyline of the city of Nuremberg. Yeah. Um, and it is an entire museum dedicated to how the rise of Nazism happened. Um, and it is, wow. it is very interesting. I've never been chilling and yeah. insane. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely be into that. That would be really interesting. Incredible is not a good word to use with it. Yeah, but I it's, no, I um, know what you mean. Yeah, I think yeah. I think everyone everyone who has a chance should see it. Yeah, I think the last totally. time I think the last time we talked about the um, the memorial, the Holocaust memorial we went to in Germany, mm-hmm. I referred to it as fantastic, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like that's totally not the right word, but like yeah. I meant yeah. it in the sense that it's like super well done and yeah. really important, you know. Right. To go back to like 
melancholiness. I have been, I have really struggled with like what are the right words to describe enjoyment, not enjoyment. Like what are the right yeah, yeah um of mm-hmm. of traumatic things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. I I think, I think that's a fair thing to be grappling yeah. with. That's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like being able to feel the impact of that, and to have like and to carry it in a positive way. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Empathy's not right either. I know. Whatever enjoyment, whatever the like line between enjoyment and empathy is, it's that word. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, like, there's a like, you know, German word for it or something. Probably. I just don't know it. Probably. Yeah. yeah. You want to tell us about your band? Yeah. So, if anybody out there is listening, <laughs> I was hoping it would come up a lot more organically. But so, for a very, very long time, anyone out there, I have wanted to start a band that um, kind of sounds like the national four or five years ago. Um, <laughs> But only plays like worship songs written by German hymn hymn writers. And this is an incredibly specific. Band. Oh, it gets more specific. <laughs> um, and so we play very minor chord, minimal music, German hymns. And everyone in the band is a printmaker, and we letterpress the lyric sheets for every show the day of. So you have to be both a printmaker and a musician and a Christian and, like, into, like, minor chord music. We're going to be called Durr. Obviously. So if anybody out there is interested in joining my my concept band, I'm looking for members. Yeah. Um, Zach, Zach Clark is... Reach out to me. That's with an H. Um, you can also reach out to their history babes. We'll oh yeah, you. just just email them. Yeah, Durr. Oh, Durr. Durr. I like it. Yeah, I would love for this to actually happen. Be I'll be so I'll be good. in your band. I mean, I know I'm not a printmaker, but I, I can figure it out. It'll be fine. Well, and the nice thing about like being a band that sounds like the National, just one song you have to be like <laughs> for three minutes, and that's all you did. <laughs> yeah, you do nothing. And one person kind of talk sings. Mm-hmm. Very I talk, like they're, they're gonna talk. They sing talk German hymns. Well, no, they'd be in English, <laughs> but like, like I feel like they have to be in German. Like I, feel I don't. Like, I can't sing in German. I don't like, know for this for this niche to work. I, they feel like no, no, be because German. no, because like there is also like a spiritual aspect to it all. <laughs> blah, blah blah. Like so, it's also a worship band. Um, Man, this is the most specific niche I have, oh, like, yeah, oh, ever. Oh heard. no no no. Yeah, I, I, this is the most, like, I'm full of niche jokes. Like, yeah. esotericism is my language, and this is the most esoteric art joke I've ever had. Well, if any of you hear that concept and you're like, yes. I yes, I want to join Dur. I am about that. Uh, you can email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. We will connect you to our friend Zach. Um, should we do a quick listener mail? Sure. <laughs> I have one pulled up. Yeah. This comes from Tara. Hi, babes. Just wanted to say thank you for your work in creating such a fantastic podcast, not to mention doing this while successfully completing your master's degree theses. I work in the field, specifically contemporary art, and it is so wonderful to listen to your in-depth discussions that are both entertainment and education recap, all in one perfect marinated package. Oh, I love the way that you described that. Um, It's so great to be reintroduced to subjects I learned about during my respective BFA and MA degrees. It feeds my professional development and art-loving soul. 
Keep up the amazing work. All my best and love from the North, Tara. P.S. I was just revisiting the Purple Mountains Majesty episode where you mentioned doing further in-depth additions on colors. I'm particu particularly jazzed about a potential podcast for Black. Can I get a Malevich and a Kapoor out there? Woo. Not to mention that curvy LBD number Wister's uh, mom is boging. Uh, well, the Black episode... It, it exists. It exists. It's yeah. Um, we talked about... We definitely talked... Of Malayevich a lot in that episode. Yes. So I should have talked about Whistler, though. We didn't get to Whistler. But, yeah, we talked about Hela Malayevich in yeah. that one. We talked about it a lot of good stuff in that one. That was a yeah. fun episode. Yeah. That one's coming out really soon, but actually by the time this episode comes out, it will already be out. Yeah. So. <laughs> I will write to you personally when I'm done talking. <laughs> Tell you we read this out your email on this episode and tell you to look out for the black yeah. episode. Yeah. Okay. So if you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to it yet, go check out our our black episode. It is out and it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your email, Tara. We really appreciate it. And your insight and your um your suggestions as we've mentioned before when people email us and give us suggestions we try and hurry those episodes up and make them happen so we really appreciate that if you have zach's got something to say his eyes just lit up oh no i thought of another problematic man <laughs> oh who joseph albers joseph yeah. albers we've talked about he's him a nazi is he a Nazi? He was totally a Nazi. Oh, fuck. Like, right? That's such a bummer. We talked about him on Color Theory. I well, because wanna... he's amazing. Like, he's brilliant, but he's a Nazi. God damn it. Uh, and what's worse, you being a pedophile lie. or a Nazi? I really don't know. <laughs> They're, I, They're both truly hate uh, They're both the worst. I don't. They're both literally the worst. His wife was kind of legit, though, wasn't she? Well... Was oh, she a Nazi too? Well, I mean, it's tough to know in the thirties. That's true. Like, she how did... much was how much was she a Nazi sympathizer? Sympathizer versus like married to a Nazi. exactly. She did a lot of important color theory work. We should look into her. Yeah. Maybe she's okay. Maybe <laughs> she's okay. Um, um, but God, that's a bummer, dude. Because yeah. I really like his work a lot, but I didn't know anything about him personally. I knew a little bit about his work and like also like pedagogically, like what he did in class. And I was yeah. like, no. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Why all, why do all of you white ass motherfuckers have to be cool? like shitty dudes? Like Not why? All, just a lot. A just, lo some. just a lot. No. Just no. some. Not all, just a lot. Just a lot. Like, bums me out. I think that's why of all the, the white dude modernists out there, my favorite in my heart is Chagall. Because he was, like, a legit dude, too. Like, he was a good guy. That's great. Um, I love man, Chagall. The church that he... The Catholic church that he did in Mines is fucking incredible. It was the very first church that was rebuilt post-World War II. And it, they intentionally asked a Jewish artist to, to redo all the interiors as, like, a sign of, like, Jewish Catholic, oh, uh, I like, that. Um, like, reconciliation. It's beautiful. It's, it's I love so Chagall. Yeah. Like, I love his work and his whole thing. Like, his whole vibe. I just love him so much. Yeah. But, yeah, once again, like, when you get all those white, white boy modernists, like, a lot of them, a lot of them are rough, and it sucks. Yeah. It's like, why? Why you gotta be like that? Yeah. Um, but... 
Thank you for listening to our episode on Durer. <laughs> we don't really know enough about his personality to know if he was a piece of shit or not. We hope I... <laughs> I really... I want him to be good. Uh, me too. <laughs> like, me too. Me too. You know, for Team team Christian, we have <laughs> so few good guys. <laughs> Most of them are actually, like, like false, terrible people. Yeah. I want him to be good. I want him to be good too. I really hope that, like, you know, when I got my mansion in heaven... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> like it's yeah. next to Alberto, and he's like, dude. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that'd be he dope. could join your band. Oh no, Al- Alberto and I are gonna have a shared uh, studio. Yeah. 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 It's gonna it's gonna be like Pitbull and Flow Rider. <laughs> they, live, they live right next to each other, and they've got a walkway between their two houses. Do they really? Is no, that but I real? Hope they do. I, they might. I don't. Know. I, I can't imagine it isn't. Um, <laughs> and that's gonna be like me wow. and an Albrecht. Oh my goodness! Uh, I really like this. I what really... a lovely dude! <laughs> I I don't like I don't tell many people this, but one thing I do, and I'm not like a particularly quote unquote religious person, but one thing I do when I'm like I can't sleep and I like am trying to get myself to calm down and go sleep is I imagine like what heaven's like. <laughs> And I imagine just like really like positive things like in the clouds. I'm gonna add that. This is so interesting. Yeah, I do. Oh, I because just, like, I'm such an anti-cloud heaven person. Yeah, I I get that, but I just imagine like all the lovely things that I could ever want to do just with po- my life. It's just pogs jumping over tacos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just lovely stuff. <laughs> and now <laughs> I'm gonna add that <laughs> to the list. It's just of, me like, and Alberto exactly. making etchings of pogs forever. <laughs> yeah. Pugs yeah. with clothes on. And that will sure. help lull me to sleep. Yeah, I hope so. So, Winged cheers. Pugs. Cheers to that, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah, pugs and overalls. So they got room for the for the wings. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> they, they need to have cutouts for that. I, we were, they need to be in clothes for some reason. We, we yeah. were on somewhere really good three minutes ago, and I totally took us off track. <laughs> I mean... It was good. I think the best way to end this episode is on pugs in overalls. Pugs in overalls and angels. Yeah, definitely. You need to oh, envision God, that. Make, that's it. That's that. I'm, that's my next move after these these politics pieces. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. just gonna make blurry photos of pugs in overalls. <laughs> Fuck yeah. With angels. Please yeah. do. Wait, punto. Pootie. Pootie. Pootie's so 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 go like poogie. Why not? One Pugo <laughs> is the leader of them all. I love the little Poogie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Grinchy Peso Pugo. <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs> we're done. Thank you for listening. It's been a good night. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> From Cabernet to Montmartre, they're here to slay the art history babes. Right now, I wish I could transport back to grad school and be in the studio and put this song on because we would dance so hard. Oh, yeah.
Yeah, me too. I want to dance. Maybe that, maybe it has to be the outro. Yeah. No, that's my number one like way to try and stave off a hangover is Dancing. dance it out. Yeah. Try to dance out yeah, the We're not being active enough to fight off the sound. Exactly. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.